0: Your host, Jay Poole, and this is Pot Stirrer Podcast's Pot Stirrer Scoops. Welcome to Pot Stirrer Podcast, where politics, religion, and history collide, and it's not always polite. COVID 19 A novel coronavirus originated in late 2019 overseas and began spreading throughout the United States in early 2020, developing into a global pandemic. This has been a terrible, horrifying event in world history, something we will feel for many, many years, even after the pandemic is over, or at least managed like some of the older viral diseases circulating in our population. Worldwide, to date, Almost 5 million people have died from COVID-19, and 726,000 Americans and counting have died due to the virus. To put that into perspective, we're talking about an average of 1 September 11th every two and a half days since COVID was first identified in the U.S. And while we now have vaccines that help to curb the spread of the virus, vaccines are not foolproof. And it's not because the vaccines are ineffective, it's because no vaccine is 100%. Mutations and breakthrough infections have occurred, and so many Americans are resistant to receiving the vaccine that we have still yet to reach the magic number needed for meaningful population immunity. Back in March 2020, during the early days of the pandemic in the US, I released an episode called The Equalizer. In one segment of the episode, I expressed my belief that COVID would be the type of destabilizing event that could lead to long-lasting changes for our society, and discussed possible features for the United States as the pandemic unfolded. One of these features was essentially finding out that the immutable rules of vulture capitalism governing our society, rules that lead to perpetual poverty and exploitation for a sizable percentage of Americans, some of which having been relaxed due to the pandemic would then be questioned. In part, this is what I said. Right now, we're having serious conversations about progressive reforms that only a couple weeks ago appeared to be pipe dreams. Universal basic income, bail reform, eliminating student loan debts, Medicare for all, And it's not just conversations that are the domain of democratic socialists or long shot democratic presidential candidates. Even moderates and conservatives are starting to discuss these as real possibilities due to the pandemic. And while some may view say stimulus checks to individual Americans or eliminating bail for nonviolent suspects as temporary measures to help Americans endure the crisis, Once we see these measures can be taken, and can be taken relatively quickly in many cases, the next question is, why can't we do this under normal circumstances? Why can't this be our reality? Now that we know what's possible, there is no going back. A year and a half later, Well, we're still fighting an uphill battle when it comes to progressive change on health care, housing reform, student loans, and a full-on universal basic income. The months that followed that episode did see three separate stimulus checks for individuals and families and a shift in many industries to temporary or in some cases permanent work from home arrangements, which opened up opportunities for people to improve their incomes Without having to move to another part of the country, and for people with disabilities to be accommodated through having the ability to work from home when they previously had been told they could not be accommodated. There were also several work stoppages and layoffs in a number of industries. And due to these mass layoffs, many Americans were on unemployment and temporarily gaining an additional pandemic bump in their unemployment assistance checks. What wasn't necessarily expected was that many who lost their jobs would use the unstable employment picture to their advantage. Many of the unemployed gained employment elsewhere in sectors of the economy that were higher paying or had safer or otherwise better working conditions. Others went back to school, attended workshops, or took advantage of learning opportunities that made them more marketable to employers. And some even started their own businesses, so they would no longer be at the mercy of bosses who could give them a pink slip at any moment. As economic shutdowns and social distancing orders were being challenged on the streets and in the courts, and as a result, were coming to an end way too early, many working-class Americans were facing the reality of going back to work. In restaurant and retail sectors... Employees have long contended with low pay, inconsistent hours, low job security, inflexible and sometimes unprofessional management, and entitled, rude customers. Stacking the remaining risk of COVID 19 on top of that crap sandwich was enough to make some in these types of jobs reconsider. And even for those in white collar roles, there's been a level of reconsideration and reckoning. As more workers, especially in office roles, began working from home and while doing so, being more available to bosses and clients alike, taking on more responsibilities around the home and helping their children acclimate to remote learning and keeping them occupied during social distancing. It's led to more stress in this group as well during the pandemic. Life is too short. Starting in spring of this year, Around the time the COVID-19 vaccines were being released to the entire adult population, Americans started leaving their jobs. The upheaval the pandemic wrought on our society brought along an opportunity to start over, to reset, to do things differently. And so that's what many Americans in the past few months have chosen to do. So why is this happening? It's important to note that the pandemic has not affected everyone equally. People of color and those in poverty and working classes have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, including higher infection rates, a greater chance of serious infection, and a higher death rate. There are at least a couple of reasons for this. These groups are more likely to work in sectors of the economy that interact closely with the public, grocery stores, restaurants, food processing plants, often called essential workers. So this makes them more high risk for contracting COVID. Also, they're more likely to have comorbidities to begin with due to lack of access to quality health care and in some cases discrimination. So they're more likely than others to suffer serious effects should they contract COVID. Many of these people are considering taking the plunge and heading elsewhere or in a lot of cases, were laid off during the economic shutdown, and once those businesses opened back up again, simply did not return. That said, while some young workers and workers in low-wage entry-level roles are leaving their jobs, the highest rate of resignations isn't among this group. According to the Harvard Business Review, resignation rates are highest among employees between 30 and 45 years old who are typically in mid-career, and the industries getting hit by resignations the most are tech and healthcare, industries that saw increased demand during the pandemic. Ever since April of this year, record numbers of Americans each month have quit their jobs, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Over 3.5 million people, upwards of 4 million, quit per month and have done so For the past several months. Each month is a record high, or at least very close to it. This phenomenon has been coined the Great Resignation by organizational psychologist Anthony Klotz. Klotz had predicted earlier in the pandemic that resignations, employees quitting their jobs, would increase in the near future based on a few factors. One is that few people quit their jobs in the early days of the pandemic. Due to the shutdowns and companies furloughing and laying off portions of their workforce, as well as the general uncertainty of COVID-19, many people who would have otherwise quit their jobs at that point stayed put. But Klotz believed these missing quits would do so as the economy and pandemic-related conditions improved. Another factor is burnout. In the service industry especially, The pressures that come with low-wage, high-stress work have been compounded by pandemic-related stressors. In addition, as companies and institutions themselves have had to grapple with an ever-changing health environment, economic environment, social environment, and try to figure out how to best respond to these changes, workers are doing much the same thing. As people, most of us are experiencing the instability. Some of us are unfortunately losing family members, friends, and colleagues to the virus. And even if we hadn't been laid off or furloughed, I'm pretty sure almost all of us know someone who has. And for a lot of people, it makes them question why they're still working a job that makes them feel miserable or in a role they're not passionate about or living a life that's not fulfilling. Life is too short. The Great Resignation has had a definite effect on our society. It has created an employee's market. The years following the 2008 recession, where companies took job applicants for granted, depressed salaries and wages, and treated workers like children, that mindset has pretty much given way to employers offering higher wages, signing bonuses, greater work-life balance, and more attractive benefits, not to mention bending over backwards to retain employees. And where employers are not making those changes, or for whatever reason are unsuccessful in retaining employees, such as in essential worker roles like retail, healthcare, and hospitality, operators are short-staffed, running on amended schedules, and closing early. In my region of the U.S., you're extremely hard-pressed these days to find a grocery store, convenience store or gas station open past 11 p.m. or midnight. Even Meyer, it used to be 24 hours, but now it closes at midnight, at least in my area. And the shortage of workers for some industries is leading to anger and resentment from business owners and customers. Some business owners have resorted to copying and pasting the same exact note on their doors. You know the one, quote, sadly, Due to government handouts, no one wants to work anymore. Therefore, we are short staff. Please be patient with the staff that did choose to come to work today and remember to tip your server. They chose to show up and serve you. End quote. There seriously must be some right-wing email copypasta going around. When I see signs like this, I turn around and leave. There's no way I'm going to spend my hard-earned money there because it's horseshit and I'm going to tell you why. In the United States for the month of September, the unemployment rate is 4.8%, which is lower than it has been and close to the 3 to 4% range that economists consider to be full employment. The $300 additional bump in unemployment benefits that was granted by the CARES Act ended September 6th, and many states ended those benefits sooner, including Ohio, which ended the additional benefit back on June 26th. Also, except in limited circumstances, those who quit their jobs have been ineligible to receive unemployment. For the most part, unemployment is limited to workers who have been laid off, furloughed, or fired, except firings due to misconduct or company policy violations. So those collecting unemployment are generally not simply deciding not to work. While it's true that COVID-19 related unemployment, which also ended last month, did not require recipients to show proof of looking for jobs, there was a reason for that. In a time before vaccines were available, people should not have been forced to place their health at undue risk for the sake of the economy. In addition, As vaccines have become available, more Americans are in fact returning to work. One other thing that no one wants to talk about is that in the past year and a half, we have lost three quarters of a million Americans from the virus. Some regions of the country have been harder hit than others. Some groups of Americans have been hit harder than others. And certain industries have been harder hit by COVID than others. Well, not all these deaths have come from the active workforce. Quite a number of them have. So this narrative that people simply don't want to work, and that's why your restaurant is short-staffed, is a lie. It's propaganda that casts the working class as lazy, when in fact, it's not that people don't want to work. They just don't want to work for you. Customers and managers alike love to say, If you don't like working here, find another job. Well, that's what many people did. And you can't be mad at that. We're in an economy where people on the job market have options. And many are taking improved options. And that's a good thing in a capitalist economy. Who wants to work for four bucks an hour plus inconsistent tips getting yelled at by entitled demanding customers who stiff them All the while, these same owners who complain about lazy workers are shamelessly taking low-interest PPP loans from the government that can be forgiven a hell of a lot easier than a student loan. No employer is entitled to an individual's labor. If you want people to work for you, provide the working conditions, wages, and benefits that will attract employees. If you aren't willing to do that, you're in a problem of your own making. If you can't do that, perhaps your business model is not sustainable. And for those blaming lazy people on unemployment for Chipotle closing a few hours early, just stop with the entitlement. One of the unfortunate side effects of the pandemic, especially as people started to go back to work once social distancing mandates ended, is that reports of irate, upset customers at restaurants and retailers have only increased whether it's due to these businesses being short-staffed or customers being required to mask or social distance for the safety of the staff and other customers. You know, I recently saw a thread on Nextdoor, which is a neighborhood-focused app. There was a thread on Nextdoor where someone was complaining about the local McDonald's. Not because their order was messed up or the food was cold or the line was slow. Nope. It was because the worker who handed them their food in the drive through didn't smile at them and you wonder why people are leaving jobs like this are you even serious in many other countries stores and restaurants do indeed close early customarily and even here in the states businesses were not always open late hours or 24 7 for our convenience in the so-called golden age of the 1950s that many conservatives say they want us to return to Stores closed earlier as people recognized that the local shop clerk had a family. Yet in the past few years, there's such a demand for stores and dining to be open at all hours, and even holidays. Forget Black Friday. Companies see profits, so they open on Thanksgiving. And workers get paid peanuts to spend their turkey day being yelled at because the store just sold their last doorbuster 75 inch 4k led perhaps if we want that convenience we should pressure companies to pay their employees for that convenience instead of taking convenient hours and cheap products for granted much of the great resignation is about individuals looking to improve their financial situation elevate their mental health and protect their physical health but some americans have left their positions because they balked at employer-implemented vaccine mandates. As COVID-19 vaccines had become widely available, yet the Delta variant, a more contagious strain of the virus, began running rampant through the population, the federal government has decided to take more decisive action. President Joe Biden issued an executive order last month requiring federal employees and contractors working with the federal government be fully vaccinated for COVID-19 in order to stop the spread of the virus. Federal employees must be fully vaccinated by November 22nd and federal contractors by December 8th. The only exemptions are for documented disability and religious exemptions. Following the lead of the federal government, some local and state government agencies and a number of private businesses are implementing their own vaccine mandates on employees, patrons, or both. These mandates vary in scope and strength. But increasingly, COVID-19 testing is being phased out as an accepted substitute for the vaccine. I'm going to keep it real. It's about time. We need to stop coddling people who feel that their political stance or ideology is more important than the health of those around them. This is not some measly cold or flu. 726,000 dead Americans in a year and a half should be enough to convince you otherwise. 11.1 million Americans with long COVID, people who no longer have the virus but are dealing with the effects up to six months after having had COVID, should be enough to convince you otherwise. Now, if you're in the small percentage of people who legitimately cannot take vaccines, Please know I'm not talking about you. The purpose of having a vaccinated public is to achieve herd immunity so people like you can be protected. That is how vaccines have always worked, and it's not any different now. Who I am talking about are those who have weaponized their ideologies for selfishness, especially those who spend a lot of time working with and interacting with the public. That I have a real problem with. And that especially includes police officers, other first responders, and healthcare professionals who feel their politics and their death cults are more important than reducing the risk of infecting the public they're pledged to serve. Now, some people who have refused the COVID-19 vaccine believe that employers cannot mandate vaccination. Many of them listen to conservative pundits or news outlets or read social media posts claiming that it's Illegal for employers to require the vaccine, and if they patronize a business in person, such as attending a concert or sporting event, the venue cannot require proof of vaccination for entry. <laughs> uh, they certainly can. Let's get something out of the way HIPAA, the federal law that keeps patient medical information from being released by health providers without patient consent, has nothing to do with requiring vaccination or showing proof of vaccination. Vaccinations are administered for the sake of public health. K-12 schools have required students to have vaccine records on file, and certain industries have required employees to furnish them, and this has been the case for decades. Vaccinations may be required to travel overseas to certain countries, so when people talk about vaccine passports, in a sense, they've always been a thing. As a matter of public health, the government can absolutely mandate vaccines for civil servants. And in the private sector, there's even more leeway. Private spaces can certainly set rules for their venues. They can require IDs, set age requirements, set dress codes. They can even do things like require you to leave your cell phone with the venue to see a particular entertainer who doesn't want pictures or video taken of their performance. You don't think they can require vaccination? You gotta be kidding. And what about private sector employers? If employment is governed by a collective bargaining agreement, meaning an agreement between the employer and the labor union representing employees, the employer's actions may be bound by that agreement. But what if, like 90% of Americans, your job is non-union? Well, your employer can do pretty much whatever they want outside of perhaps exemptions governed by labor law, such as ballot health and religious exemptions. And I mean ballot exemptions, not ones you get from Dr. Nick. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. Your employer can absolutely mandate the vaccine and can, if they want to, require proof of vaccination as a condition of continued employment. And no, do not blame Marxism socialism, wokeism, or cancel culture for freeing you from your job. Blame yourself for making conspiracies and propaganda your hill worth dying on and blame at will employment. For the past few decades, the power of unions has eroded along with membership in 1954 Nearly 35% of workers belong to unions, and they were most popular in blue-collar and service industries. But the rate of union membership has declined a great deal over the past several decades. In 1983, union membership was at about 20%, and that has been halved in the nearly four decades since. And with a smaller share of American workers belonging to unions... Along with rights work laws that have all but killed unions, their bargaining power has declined precipitously. That has corresponded with wages that have remained stagnant since the 1980s and fewer protections for labor in relation to their employers. Many working and middle class Americans have been conditioned to believe that unions are bad. And here's the thing, unions are not perfect by any means. Like other organizations, labor unions can and have dealt with corruption, and in some cases, such as the police, unions can serve as roadblocks to accountability. But in a number of respects, unions once served a public good. Unions allowed workers a decent living, including shorter work weeks, a true living wage, and nice benefits, as well as job security. And ironically, Due to the pandemic, working class and middle class conservatives who simped hard for big business are now being bitten by the lack of labor rights in this country due to policies they supported. Regardless of the reasons why more and more Americans are resigning from their jobs, it remains to be seen how long this trend will last. This may be part of the overall ebb and flow of the job market, a market that sometimes benefits companies and sometimes benefits labor. It could be a longer-lasting trend that transforms the relationship between companies and labor. But either way, one can only hope that the true change will continue to occur between people and their work. If your work is fulfilling in and of itself, or if your work enables you to live your fulfilled best life, that is worth aiming for. Life is too short for anything less. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Potstirer Podcasts, Poster Scoops. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstirerpodcast.com slash download and you'll see the links. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to get new episodes once they're released. No waiting on anything but your bandwidth. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it five stars on your podcast app of choice and leave a review. And I'm always on Twitter. So follow me there at cast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free.